This is ESPN Crick Info. Bowl at Boyd's. Well, before you could know it, the group stage of the World Cup is also over. Just about 10 days to go for the final, and that'll be it. Hello and welcome to Bowl at Boyd's on ESPN Crick Info. And I'm joined by Jeffrey Boycott, who's relaxing back at home. How are you, sir? A bit jet lagged. Uh, I enjoyed five weeks there. I always planned to come home uh, uh, just before the quarterfinals started because I thought England weren't very good. And uh, even if they got through to the quarterfinal, which I wasn't sure they or certain they would, I thought they would, but I didn't think they'd go much further. And they they surprised us and disappointed us even more than I thought by not even getting to the quarterfinals. But I had a good time. Well, good to hear that, that you had a great time. The team did not. So let's talk about their performance. The first couple of questions are about them. First one sent by James O'Brien from the UK who says, Are England too obsessed with number crunching or setting their ways coaching stuff under Peter Moores? Do you think those are the reasons behind England's early exit from the World Cup? I expected something about England, but to be honest, I don't think it's just one reason why we poor. I think, generally speaking, our thinking is outdated. We still play a form of one-day cricket and the people behind the scenes coaching and giving them ideas, the leadership of the team. It's all about the old-fashioned ways. 240, 250, 260 used to win most matches. Nowadays, the one-day game has gone forward in leaps and bounds. It's unrecognizable. Whether it's uh, the fielding positions and the, the bigger bats and the flat pitches flatter them better than ever for batting. The scores are going up and up and up. And everybody's got to keep reassessing and rethinking and doing different things. This one-day game has gone so quickly in the last few years and it's changed so dramatically that you've got to be on your toes and, and, and thinking how it's affecting your team. And we, we're, still in, we're still in years ago mode. And I think... A lot of that is to do, you're right, with backroom staff and the coach himself who's never had international cricket. He's never played anything this much one-day cricket. He's never been around in international teams. And he seems to rely on statistics. He's done by his own comments after we lost to Bangladesh by saying we'll have to go look at the statistics. He couldn't even see anything or say anything about the game. He had to go look at the computer. So he damned himself. Uh, the one-day game is played so quick, so fast. Everything else, uh, everything changes dramatically in a few overs when batsmen get in or you get wickets. And you have to be able to think on your feet. You have to have a freedom of thought. I think whatever we say about the backroom staff and the coach and, and some of the selections were appalling. I mean, everybody in English cricket has known that things like Finn, wonderful talent two years ago, fast bouncy with a tall action he's not the force he was the ball's not coming out of his hand whether that's confidence or what I know they've altered his delivery stride so he doesn't knock the bails off when he's delivering and that seemed to upset him but he's not the bowler he was Broad was a disappointment two or three of the matches his pace was down he's short of bowling he had an operation didn't he just before Christmas and he's had very little bowling when you get to one day cricket you're only going to get 10 overs. Well, bowlers are like batsmen. We batsmen, getting 10 runs doesn't give us any form. 
we need to make 50, 70, 100. And they need to get 20 overs in, 30 overs in. When they bowl a few overs, it's nothing for them. They're just warming up. Well, he's not being able to get the overs. And he was way below par. All our seamers are very the same. They're all right arm. They all bowl roughly the same pace. They're all English type that move and swing the ball uh, if there's a bit in the pitch. Well, most times these days in one-day cricket around the world, there's nothing in the pitch. <laughs> They're flat. And if you bowl in the same spot, which is the English way, you bowl in the same spot, let the pitch nip it around or swing or cut it. These days, the batsmen know where it's going to land. They just whack it over the top. The big bats, they know if they get some bat on it, it clears the mid-off, mid-on. And they know if they hit it sweetly, it goes for six easily. So the game has changed. And then there's Bapara. Sometimes he's in the squad, then he's out of the squad. When he's in the squad, sometimes he plays, then he doesn't play. I don't think he knows uh, whether he's wanted, and I don't think they know what to do with him. Then there's Gary Balance, a marvellous cricketer. Um, played beautifully in the test matches last year, took his opportunity. He wasn't in the one-day squad. He hasn't played in it. Never, nobody's ever really thought of him. It's always been Hales. And then suddenly Hales is out and balances in at number three, the most crucial matches of the tournament for us, playing the number one seed, Australia, the number two seed, New Zealand, and then a tough seed, Sri Lanka, and he's playing all the time. And he failed. So there's all this up and down, and I don't think it, I don't think it helped the sacking issue of KP. Well, whatever the reasons, it was a distraction throughout the summer because the selectors never came clean and told everybody why and so forth, and... It's rumbled on and on, and it's still rumbling on because there's talk of him coming back. <laughs> then you get to leadership. I talked about the backroom stuff, but quite honestly, they do have a part to play, certainly in selection and certain things they can say to the players, but the players and the captain, captaincy to me is so important, and it's more important in one-day cricket than test cricket. Because in test cricket, it goes on a long time. You have time to rectify maybe a mistake or two. You have no time. 50 overs, the game changes. These people get in and are smashing it everywhere. The captain has to be on the ball with his tactics. He has to be smart. He has to carry the players with him. And we're unlucky. In this era, we do not have real good leaders. We tried Cook. We went on too long with him, did the selectors, when everybody was saying that, listen, in the modern game... The kid's not a one-day, modern-day player. 25 years ago, he'd have been a good player in one-day cricket. People like me were. Sonny Gavaska, but the game has changed dramatically. But yet, they kept him right up to Christmas, and then when they changed, it was seven weeks ago only to the World Cup. Morgan took over, and he was just the same as Cook. His form deserted him. He bats at five and I think he should bat at seven. He's a finisher. I don't think he's good enough at five. He's a good player, I think, who can do a job lower down. I'm always saying that. Um, we, we have no thinking. We always think the wicketkeeper should come after the batsman, like you do in a test match normally. But Butler's our best middle-order player. Anybody can see that Butler has a range of short inventiveness, creativeness, he has flair, he has power. He should be moved up the order. He should swap his positions with Morgan. And you can see all this. And Morgan's not a captain. He's not a leader. Like, look, like Cook, he's just a nice lad. 
you watch him on the field, I don't get the impression that he's grabbing hold of the situation. I don't think he grabs hold of the players. Everybody will say, oh, we, we, we support him, we like him. Well, yes. It's not about that. It's about leadership. We're unlucky. With Cook, with Morgan. And I say unlucky because you can't make captains. You can't make leaders. But it's a gift to have somebody. I mean, Brendan McCullough, just natural. Doni, natural. These people have got it. And there's all these issues going on with England. It's a, it's a mixture of all sorts. The, the selection process of who we pick, the leaders, the captains, the selectors don't make decisions early enough. There's a him behind the scenes, Moores. He has selection on the day with the captain and picking. We're just sameness. We're outdated. And it's no one thing, but quite honestly, the question is good. And unless somebody does something about it, we'll do poorly again. Because we can't keep on deluding ourselves and be in denial that, oh, we're nearly there. I, I saw the interview by Morgan. What did he say? Oh, well, there's no need to change anything. Oh, we're all right. We, we, we just didn't play very well. All right. Let's continue with England for one more question. This one was sent by Alvin Stevens from the UK. Who says, Jeffrey, in the aftermath of England's exit from the World Cup, do you agree that the international schedule should be worked around to accommodate county cricket? Should the ECB also focus on freeing up international players for more games in domestic T20 and 50 over matches? In an ideal world, we'd like a summer to be twice as long as it is. Because they can't free up players for county cricket because they play far too much international cricket. Our players are going to the West Indies now, shortly, for three test matches. They've got to have warm-up matches as well. And they don't get back. And they'll get about 10 or 12 days off before they play the first test match against New Zealand on the 20th of May. And that our summer goes on till the 13th of September. And in that time, less than four months, we have seven test matches. Yes, seven. Twelve one-dayers. After that, 13th of September, they'll get three weeks rest only, and then they have to go to the UAE to play Pakistan in three test matches, five, six, seven one-dayers. So they need to go two weeks early for travel, practice, and a couple of warm-up matches. So they're only going to get three weeks off. Then they'll only get three weeks off, and they have to be in South Africa. The first test is in Boxing Day. So they'll have to be there two weeks early, middle of December. Again, get some practice and a couple of warm-up matches. Then they finish that in South Africa, four tests, is it six one-days, seven, five one-day tests, two 2020s, and then they go to India with probably a week's rest only to play the World 2020 in India. There's no time for anything. The players these days, whether they like it or not, they have no say in it. They're like a jumbo jet. If they're not flying, the jet's not earning any money. If he stood on the tarmac, nobody gets any money. Doesn't earn anything. And our players are the same. Administrators all over the world have realized you keep the players playing, then in rolls the TV money, the sponsors' money, the advertising money, the gate money, which is the least amount. It's the other three that make all the money. So you've no chance, unless you cut down on international cricket and let the players go back to their counties, play all kinds of cricket, because it'd make... Uh, Four-day cricket, 2020, 
50 of it all make it stronger if our international players were playing for the counties. But then you have to cut down the international days, and so the pot of gold, that's the rich money that comes from Sky TV particularly, 70, 80 million for a summer, you're not going to get that to share between the counties, and the counties will say, whoa, whoa, hang on, I don't want less money. I've got bills to meet. You know? And so it's a circle now they've got on, it's going round and round and nobody knows how to slow it down. Never mind, stop it. They don't even know how to slow it down. You've got counties in England that are desperate for money. You know, they owe 25 million at Yorkshire, 30 odd million at Warwickshire, around the counties. So if they get less money from the English cricket board because the team is playing less international cricket, so they can go back to play county cricket, Many of the counties are going to be really worse off because they just can't meet their bills. Boyk's question of the week. All right, let's leave some questions about England alone for some time. The third is a very interesting question sent by Tammy Bothman from Australia. And it says, how is it that we are seeing such a surge from left-arm pacers in this World Cup? Even when teams are scoring 400 plus easily, scores of, three, scores of over 300 are being chased easily. These left-arm quicks, such as Mitchell Stark, Trent Bold, Wahab Riaz, Shapur Zadran, are doing so well even on flat wickets. Do you see some trend there or a common factor among them? Good question. I've been look, thinking about that myself when I've been watching the matches. And that there just happens to be a, a number of them, and a number of them bowling well. And I'm trying to think, is it, is it causing a problem, the angle of these left-arm over the wicket because it's going across the batsman and, and we all know percentage-wise most bowlers are right-handed like most batsmen are right-handed and then they can come around the wicket and it's a, it's a different angle then when they bowl around the wicket because they're so wide on the crease with the arm even when the feet are inside the popping crease the return crease rather their arm is so wide so that's an unusual angle for batsmen uh, is it that is it that or, or have we just got uh, one or two good left-arm seamers in, and it just look at the draw that at this moment there are one or two good left-arm seamers around. I don't honestly know the answer to that. My, if I had to lean towards anything, I would say that the angle is different. That you just don't come across too many left-arm seamers and, and it catches batsmen out. For instance, England. England don't have one. So when they're practicing in the nets, unless they get some players from outside, some club bowlers, to bowl left-arm overs, they're not going to get practice against left-arm seamers. And so when they get in the middle, mm, it's a bit different. The ball's coming at different angles. And I think that's the problem. It, it is we've, we just hit a, a moment in cricket when there are four or five around who are quite good, and it's just catching batsmen out. Do you think the conditions are playing a role in some way? Not in the left-arm seamers so much because the pitches are flat. I mean, uh, the only pitch I've seen where it's, uh, it's not been flat is uh, the match I did was England versus Afghanistan and it was like playing in England with rain coming down, dark and cloudy and, and the ball zipped around a bit. England won the toss bowl that would probably bowl most people out because that's their forte. Seamers, fast-medium seamers, bowling line and length, let the ball cut around and jag around and eventually people get out. And I think there's no disgrace to Afghanistan that it was English conditions for English bowlers. 
But on the whole, you're not going to get that sort of weather too often in Australia and New Zealand. You're going to get a lot of good pictures. And also the dropping pictures now are magnificent. So I just think it's one of those things. We've just got some left armors, and, and people are just used to more the right armor coming into them from over the wicket, and it just... You see, not many right-arm bowlers actually go round the wicket, do they? The left-arm seamers bowl over and around, but not many right-armers bowl in one-day cricket around the wicket. So, I think it just catches people out as a left-arm seamer, and they happen to be quite good, those around. All right, it looks like that. And time for the fourth and last question of this episode. Josh Williams from the US says, Jeffrey, why do you think the standard of umpiring has dropped so much in the biggest tournament of the game? Starting from James Taylor's run out on the opening day, Chris Jordan's run out against Bangladesh, the catch taken by John Mooney to dismiss Sean Williams, all so controversial and it seemed as if the decisions even lacked common sense. In this day and age of technology, why are we seeing such glaring errors that too from the third umpires? Well, you've hit the nail on the head, Josh. In this day and age of technology, you said, why are we seeing such glaring errors? That's the, that's the nub of it. Many years ago, there was no television at all. And when we had television, it was so poor. You're probably so young, you can't remember. I can remember when there was bowling from both ends, which has always been, there was only television cameras at one end. So you actually looked at the, the at one end where, over the top of the slips. Now we have cameras at both ends natural we've had it for years and we used to have black and white not color and the lenses have got better and so forth but there was years ago before many of you youngsters were born when there was no television for cricket and that's the nub of it when umpires made a decision and there was no television to show the replays you never knew whether you had been given a bad decision or not because you couldn't prove it you come into the dressing room and say well that'll, that'll be the surely it was missing leg stump and the lads, you had to go with the lads in the dressing room, your teammates. They said, no, I think you're wrong, Barry. It was hitting middle and like that. You didn't get, you got stuck in the crease. You, you got too far across. And then other times they said, no, I think it was a bad one. That, that was missing three or four inches. Even the bowlers would say that's something. But you couldn't prove it either way. You couldn't prove whether the umpire was right or wrong or you were right or wrong. All you knew is he was right because he had the white coat on. He put his finger up and he played God. Nowadays, we can look at these things. And you're right, the one starting from James Taylor's run out on the opening day lacked common sense. It actually lacked an umpire not knowing the rules. Because it was a dead ball. Whether you like it or not, the rule is written. Once they go to the DRS, I even asked the chief executive of Australia, I was on the plane next day. I said, Have I got this right? Have we got it right in the commentary box? That was a dead ball. And he said, yeah, they got it wrong, Jeffrey. Now, that shouldn't have happened. That's a human error of not reading the rules properly. And it stopped young Taylor from probably, not certainty, probably getting a, the lovely century. I know England lost the game, but it's nice to have got a century. He played quite well. Now, Chris Jordan's run out. They've got to be careful when we're just criticising umpires. I do think sometimes they make silly mistakes like the Taylor's a Taylor run out. Now Chris Jordan's run out, it's very difficult for the naked eye to see that his bat was over the line a long way, but it was a fraction off the ground in the air. 
Could you see that from 20 to 25 yards away where the umpire was? I don't think so. You see, I think that's very difficult to tell. I'm trying to be honest here. If it's marginally, fractionally off the ground, the decision then that the review system gave that he was out, we gave him out in the commentary box. But we couldn't have given him out without television. There's no way with the naked eye we could have said that was out. So television got the correct decision in the end. So we've got to be careful that we're not just overcritical of umpires. They are human. They get one look at it. They don't get to see replays. They have somebody in the commentary box or near us who sees all these replays close up because television is so good. And I think, in person, the cricketers, umpires, everybody just wants as many correct decisions as possible. And the DRS system, for me, the review system, is being good because it gets a lot more things right for the human eye, which just cannot get as many right as television. That's true, and that brings us to the end of this episode of Bowler Boyks. Just about two weeks from now, after the World Cup final, Jeffrey will join us again. So send in your questions about the World Cup, the knockouts, your thoughts about the tournament, looking ahead to the summer, whatever it is. The feedback form is there on the website. Fill it up and we'll try to take as many questions as possible. Till then, enjoy the knockouts and the World Cup. Bye-bye. You are listening to ESPN Crick Info.